Hello and welcome to the November 17th Annals of Internal Medicine podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Lean, Annals Editor-in-Chief, with highlights of what's new in the journal. I know how busy our listeners are, so my highlights will be brief, and I hope that you will go to annals.org to take a closer look at the articles I mentioned that pique your interest. Let's get to the articles. There currently is much debate regarding whether U.S. institutions and clinicians may or should restrict patient access to COVID-19 drugs and vaccines that have been granted emergency use authorization by the Food and Drug Administration. In a commentary published online first on November 3rd, authors from the University of Pennsylvania and New York University discuss their views on the legal, ethical, and clinical ramifications of such restriction. They suggest that, although emergency use authorizations expand treatment options, they do not necessarily support a shift in the standard of care. Only evidence can do that. And the evidence supporting emergency use authorizations varies considerably. Institutions and clinicians are not obligated to offer unproven interventions, but rather they must assess available evidence and treat patients accordingly. As a result, they may permissibly decide not to offer products with emergency use authorization in clinical care and instead to limit access to such products to participants in clinical trials. Next is an article published on November 10th that proposes a new equation for estimating glomerular filtration rate, or GFR, that the authors think improves the accuracy and precision compared with commonly used equations. Developed and tested by the European Kidney Function Consortium, the new equation attempts to address the limitations of currently recommended equations designed to target specific age-based populations. Clinicians commonly use creatinine-based equations in daily clinical practice to estimate GFR, and many of them are refined to target specific populations. Most commonly used among them are the Chronic Kidney Disease in Children Study equation, the CKIV, and the Chronic Kidney Disease Epidemiology Collaboration Equation, the CKD-EPI, for adults. Both of these equations have limitations, and a full age spectrum equation has been designed to overcome some of them. However, that method also overestimates GFR at low serum creatinine values and in patients with chronic kidney disease. Researchers from Belgium developed and sought to validate a modified full-age spectrum creatinine-based equation combining features of the full-age spectrum and the CKD-EPI equations. The equation was developed in a study population of 11,251 participants from seven studies and was validated in a separate study population of 8,378 participants from six studies. All the study participants were white. The new equation was found to be unbiased across all age groups with good accuracy in both children and adults. In an accompanying editorial, Drs. Levy, Inker, and Togart from Tufts Medical Center suggest that the new equation is a conceptual advance over the full age spectrum equation and say that the development of an estimated GFR equation that can be used in children and adults is a worthy goal. However, the editorialists note that the performance of such equations should also be evaluated in a population that is more racially and ethnically diverse than included in the current study. Next is a synopsis of the latest clinical practice guideline from the Kidney Disease Improving Global Outcomes, or CADIGA, organization. The guideline offers advice for treating patients with diabetes and chronic kidney disease. The synopsis focuses on the key recommendations pertinent to the following issues. 
comprehensive care needs, glycemic monitoring, and targets, lifestyle interventions, antihyperglycemic therapies, and educational and integrated care approaches. The Cotago guideline is based upon literature searches last conducted in October 2018, supplemented with additional evidence through September 2019 and updated in February 2020. Expert judgment was used to develop consensus practice points supplementary to the evidence-based graded recommendations. The guidance underwent open public review and comments from all audiences were considered before the document was finalized. Authors from the Cadigo workgroup summarized the guidelines for ease of reference in clinical practice. The guidelines recommend comprehensive care, including smoking cessation in patients who use tobacco products and treatment with an angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitor or an angiotensin II receptor blocker in patients with diabetes, hypertension, and albuminuria. Glycemic monitoring and targets using hemoglobin A1c to monitor glycemic control. Lifestyle interventions, including specific diet recommendations and recommendations for regular moderate intensity physical activity. Treatment with antihyperglycemic therapies and in patients who have not achieved individualized glycemic targets despite use of metformin and SGLT2 inhibitors or who are unable to use those medications, use of long-acting GLP-1 receptor antagonists is recommended. And they also recommend structured self-management educational programs. The COVID-19 pandemic has been disrupting traditional healthcare operations by overwhelming system resource capacity, but also created opportunities for care innovation. Researchers from Atrium Health described the development and rapid deployment of a virtual hospital program in an article published online on November 11th. During the study, 1,477 patients with COVID-19 received care through a virtual observation unit and or a virtual acute care unit with a medium stay of 11 days. Of these, 1,293 patients received care in the virtual observation unit and 40 patients required inpatient hospitalization. Of those 40 patients, 16 spent time in the ICU, seven required ventilator support, and two died during hospital admission. In total, 184 patients were ever admitted to the virtual acute care unit, in which 22% required respiratory inhaler or nebulizer treatments, 22% used supplemental oxygen, and 13% were admitted to an inpatient conventional hospital. The researchers note that their study has limitations, such as needing patients with a working telephone and ability to comply with monitoring protocols. Overall, virtual hospital programs have the potential to provide health systems with additional capacity during the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. Another study published online on November 11th looks at 60-day outcomes among patients hospitalized with COVID-19. Although characteristics and in-hospital outcomes for persons with COVID-19 have been well described, less is known about the longer-term outcomes of hospitalized patients. Authors from the University of Michigan Health System and the Michigan Hospital Medicine Safety Collaborative describe 60-day post-discharge clinical, financial, and mental health outcomes for, of patients with COVID-19. The authors reviewed patients hospitalized with COVID-19 at 38 participating hospitals and found nearly one in three patients died during hospitalization or within 60 days of discharge. For most patients who survived, ongoing morbidity, including the inability to return to normal activities, physical and emotional symptoms, and financial loss were common. Adverse events after COVID-19 hospitalization 
are common, and the authors emphasize that policies and clinical and research programs targeting these are much needed. Moving to November 17th, a randomized trial of laparoscopic and open liver surgery for patients with metastatic colon cancer found no difference in survival outcomes between the treatment groups. Most patients with metastatic colon or rectal cancer cannot be cured. However, a subset of such patients with isolated liver metastases can have surgical removal or resection of the metastatic tumor in the liver, which might cure their disease. Patients may have traditional open surgery or a minimally invasive laparoscopic approach. However, no high-level evidence supports the oncological safety of the laparoscopic approach. Researchers from Oslo University Hospital in Norway studied 280 patients with resectable colorectal liver metastases to compare open versus laparoscopic surgical approaches with respect to five-year survival outcomes. This is the first randomized controlled trial comparing the two approaches, and short-term results of this trial were already published. The patients were randomly assigned to have either laparoscopic surgery or open surgery, and the researchers compared survival without cancer recurrence at five years between the two groups. They found no difference in survival between the laparoscopic and open approaches. The researchers suggest that since the laparoscopic approach does not jeopardize oncologic outcomes and may provide better short-term outcomes when applied in ideal conditions, both surgical options should be discussed with appropriate patients. November 17th also brings the latest to Annals for Hospitalists. In addition to key points from recent articles of particular relevance to hospital medicine, Annals for Hospitalists includes a commentary on enterococcal bacteremia. November 17th also brings an issue of ACP Journal Club. In it, you will find critical summaries of recent articles from over 120 journals that were thought to be the most methodologically sound and relevant to internal medicine practice. And there is the latest episode of Annals Consult Guides. This one tackles the differential diagnosis of swollen legs. You will learn why, when you encounter a patient with swollen legs, you have to think beyond heart failure. And there are two new episodes of the Annals on Call podcast. In the first one, Dr. Center discusses the American College of Physicians' recommendations on remdesivir for COVID-19 with Dr. Rebecca Andrews, a member of ACP's Scientific Policy Committee. The second one is a discussion between Dr. Center and Annals deputy editor and obesity expert, Dr. Christina Wee, who discusses outcomes following bariatric surgery. That brings us to the end of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll go to annals.org to take a closer look at some of the articles I've mentioned. I hope you'll return to our next podcast on December 1st, and to all of our U.S. listeners wishing you a happy, healthy, socially distanced Thanksgiving holiday. Thanks to Beth Jenkinson and Andrew Langman for their technical support.